HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Patina Events at Brooklyn Botanic Garden, an idyllic location for weddings, corporate events, and parties of any style. Visit us at patinaevents.com. This week on Meat and 3, we're getting semantic to understand the deeper meaning behind some of the foods we love. First, we'll look at the big debate happening around the word milk. Who the hell are you to tell me what is the name of my product and my landscape and everything we've cared about when, you know, you don't have anything invested in except to put out a little money to buy it. (laughs) It's our entire life. Then we get the lowdown on the language of cider. So the first thing that's really confusing about dryness is that it has nothing to do with how something actually feels in your mouth. And finally, we get our fill of tiki talk. You don't walk into a tiki bar like, oh yeah, this is what Polynesia is probably like. Like, it's, it's supposed to be, like, fantasy and stuff. That's the hard part. It's so easy to do tiki bad, and that's where it gets a bad name. Tune into this week's episode of Meat and 3. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, April 17th, 2019. This is the 213th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, I have a special on-the-road episode from the 2019 Philly Chef Conference, which took place from March 9th to 11th at Drexel University in Philadelphia. And I will be chatting with Mike Trod, the conference founder and event chair. Plus, I have a couple interviews with two of Copenhagen's most respected chefs and restaurateurs, Matt Orlando of Amas Restaurant and Christian Bauman of 108 and The Corner. But first, as I do on every show, I will tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So as the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm tipping off the show. And here we go. The tip is to be responsible. Take ownership in what you do and what you say and for your actions. 
Being responsible means being dependable, keeping promises, and honoring your commitments. It means accepting consequences and owning up to your mistakes. Only we can be accountable for ourselves as it is our lives. So take responsibility always. That's my tip today. Now, to kick off my special on the road episode, again, it's from the Philly Chef Conference 2019. I have on the phone Mike Trout. He is the conference founder and event chair. So, hello, Mike. How are you? How are Good, Sherry. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm assuming you're in Philadelphia. I am in Philadelphia as we speak. Nice. Uh, well, I'm I'm in Brooklyn. <laughs> so and it was such a treat to come out to Philly for the conference, my first time attending. I'd love to know what inspired you to to start the conference and, and what year was that? How, how many years have you been doing it? So this was our sixth year. So basically uh, about six years ago, I transitioned from working in the restaurant industry and kitchens to education and You know, getting into education, I can see there's, you know, a gap between, you know, what was going on in industry to what was going on in education and just to create a conference that can bring industry together with students and kind of bridge that gap and connect all the dots. And how did it grow over the years? Because this conference this past year seemed to be very elaborate. You had a lot of things going on between the, the student day on Saturday, which I was honored to teach a PR class, to the all of the parties, to the reception, to the full day of 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 lectures and and panels you had on Monday. So, um, how did it grow since the beginning? Well, I think the first couple years was trying to kind of really develop and get engagement with the Philadelphia restaurant community. So I think that's probably the first two, three years. But then it got to the point where we were able to attract outside speakers and continue to grow that. And then this year, was the goal was to get as many people from outside of Philadelphia to participate and engage our community. Because I see the value of a conference is to engage and meet new people that you don't see or connect with on an everyday basis. Right. So how did you go about that? Because you had chefs coming in from around the world. It was a really impressive lineup. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, kind of connecting with individuals and, you know, building on prior years and then meeting people at, you know, great conferences, being able to go to the MAD conference and connect with Matt Orlando and Christian and, you know, convince them to come over to Philadelphia and participate in the conference. Well, you were able to do so successfully. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it all worked out. And, you know, it's just kind of connecting the dots. I think people enjoy attending because they get to kind of connect with individuals that they normally don't get to see either. Right. Were there any particular highlights on your end that you'd like to point out or, or, or tell a little more about the structure of between the Sunday night, having the different panels and moving into the reception, and then um, the Monday, how there were also um, different paths people could take, whether they wanted a, a demo or, or more to, to hear people talking on a panel, which I think I, I thought think, was great to have those options. You know, it is, I think the day one was, you know, very well, the two panels and being able to, you know, get Katkinsman and, 
you know, Michael Solomonoff on a panel with Tim Carman from the Washington Post, and then also to have Jeff Gordonier, you know, moderate a panel, but also his assistance in getting restaurants that were on his best new restaurant list, you know, from mm-hmm. Texas to Minneapolis to come and, you know, participate in reception. So to have, you know, not just great speakers, but, you know, amazing food from throughout the United States represented in Philadelphia for two days. Right. And then and then on Monday, the full lineup, you had a, there was a lot going on. And even lunch, you brought in, you know, you, you brought in all the top spots and and or places in Philly that I think people have read about and are curious about food wise to, to try. Yeah, it's just one of those things where you really want to highlight Philadelphia and being able to, you know, having worked in the past with, you know, Ben Miller, who is, you know, co-owner of South Philly Barbacoa and Christina Martinez. They've been doing lunch for the conference for the past four years. And then, you know, just to kind of get, you know, new people represented and, you know, gets a good vibe between the Philadelphia, but also our out-of-town guests. Yeah, no, it was that was it was delicious. It was it was a great lunch. <laughs> so, so are you already looking ahead for next year? Are you going to plan a, a a conference around the same time in March? Yeah, I already have the uh, you know date settled for next year, so it'll be March first and second. And you know, I always keep a pad with you know names and my wish list and people that I jot down throughout the year, and then generally start reaching out. You know after the 4th of July to get on people's radars because there's so many different events and conferences going on throughout the years that you want to, you know, get ahead of the game and get on people's calendars. Yeah. It sounds like what I do for my show. I, I always, yeah, I always have moments where all of a sudden I, I think of someone that would be great to have on and I just jot it down just so I don't forget. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a lot of plotting and, you know, connecting the dots and seeing if, you know, past, participants have connections to you know possible future participants yeah well you you made it look really easy to throw a conference i have to say <laughs> but you know what it's it, 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 it works because people in the hospitality industry are you know willing to participate willing to you know donate their time and they understand how these events run and you know they help it run ex- you know extremely smoothly right and you also had the the volunteers from the school which which was they were they were all very helpful and I think yeah it's it's really nice we get to have a class that you know it's not just talking about event planning it's the actual planning and executing of an event over two to three days and getting the students involved is one of the main aspects of the conference to really kind of get them connected to the industry that they're going to eventually uh, graduate and join right makes sense well I was so glad to be a part of it I'll mark my calendar for next year maybe <laughs> I can come back again. And, We'd um, love to have you. Uh, thank you, and thank you so much. And I, I wish you wish you the best, and have a have a great, I guess, a great school year, <laughs> rest yeah, of the year. Thank you. Yeah, a couple more months, but I'm really looking yeah. forward to listening to the interviews with Matt and uh, Christian. Cool. Yeah, they're they're we're gonna play them back now. So um, I hope you enjoy. It was it was I figured while I was there, and I had the opportunity to interview the two of them all the way coming in from Copenhagen. I I had to take it. So. Perfect. Well, that's great. Great. Well, thank you so much. We're going to take a little break here, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to have my two interviews with Copenhagen chefs. So stay tuned. Mm 
Patina Restaurant Group offers unparalleled service in New York's most iconic locations, including Lincoln Center, Rockefeller Center, and Macy's Herald Square. Patina is also the exclusive caterer at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. From meetings and presentations in the glass-walled atrium, to galas in the renovated Palm House, and intimate wedding showers at Yellow Magnolia Cafe, your event will be perfectly imagined and customized at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. You can also enjoy a la carte brunch and lunch at the picturesque Yellow Magnolia Cafe overlooking Lilypool Terrace. Executive chef Morgan Jarrett's unique menu offers warm, distinctive cuisine with a focus on local vegetables, grains, and sustainably sourced meats and fish. Welcome back to All in the Industry. I'm Sherry Bayer, and today I'm doing a special on-the-road episode from the 2019 Philly Chef Conference. And now I have an interview that I did with Matt Orlando. He is the chef and owner of Amas Restaurant in Copenhagen. Now, I've been super lucky to have dined not just once at Amas, but I've been there twice. And the first time I went solo, and if you want to go back to episode 152, I talked about it as my solo dining experience. And on that, on that visit... I didn't meet Matt because he had just had a baby, and so he wasn't there. But then this past fall, I was back. I went for lunch with some friends. It was during the MAD Symposium, and I met him. So uh, we, we, we got to know each other a little bit, and so when I was at Philly, I reached out and I said, hey, can I do an interview for my show? So we sat down, and uh, we talked about his background, about what led him to work for Rene Redzepi in Copenhagen and eventually opened his own restaurant. So the interviews, uh, it's, it's over 20 minutes and uh, I hope you enjoy it. And so here's me talking with Matt Orlando. Yeah. Why don't we talk, or you talk a little about your background and how you got into cooking. So I moved to New York and, well, I started working at a pizza place when I was 14 years old. Okay, and, in San Diego. Yeah, and that was just a make money because my dad said if I whatever money I saved up for a car he would match it so I could buy a car okay and then I saved up I don't know like $5,000 for a car and then I went to my dad and said okay dad and I had been looking I was like I must get this because I snowboarded a lot I'm gonna get this sick truck and it cost about $10,000 and I have $5,000 my dad's gonna give me $5,000 so I go to my dad and I said dad okay I have $5,000 this is the truck I want to get and he looks at me and he goes you could get a great car with five thousand dollars. <laughs> so yeah, so I ended up getting a four-wheel drive Subaru station wagon. Okay. Still to go snowboarding, not a truck like I thought I was gonna get. Well, um, it, it served a purpose. Taught me a value life lesson. Yes. A valuable life lesson. <laughs> um, so then, then I worked at a restaurant called Chart House when I was sixteen till I graduated high school. Chart House the. Restaurant. It used to be like a... It was like a restaurant group? Yeah, a restaurant group. Yeah, yeah we, I grew up in Miami, and okay. I remember we had Chart House. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I worked there for until I graduated high school, and then I um, graduated high school and moved to Lake Tahoe uh, to snowboard. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, but I worked at Chart House up in Lake Tahoe as well. And then I moved back to San Diego, and I ended up working for a gentleman by the name of Francis Perot um, at a restaurant called Fairbanks. And that was like my first 
like real restaurant. This guy was born and raised in Paris and worked for Robuchon and Garnier, like when he was younger. And that was like my, like, I was like, okay, wow, this is really cooking. And also Francis himself, we're still friends. And Francis himself was just like an amazing teacher of not only cooking, but life lessons. And cooking for him was like cooking out of the roost. It was so classic. And I learned so much about technique about food and how life, food and life are intertwined and you, and you have to pay respect to both. And, and then I, that really kind of lit the fire inside me where I was just like, okay, this is maybe something I want to do on a professional level. And then I said to him, I'm going to move to New York. And he looks at me and goes, this is amazing, man. You're going to go there, you're going to work hard, you're going to learn so much. But remember one thing. If you go down this path, you're never going to be rich. If you want to be rich, open a fucking pizza place. Okay. <laughs> Those exact words. I thought he was going to say get out of the industry no, altogether. No, no, no. no he okay. said open a pizza place. That's the only way you're going to get rich in this industry. So I left for New York in 2001. And right after 9-11, and all my friends were like, you're still going? I was like, yeah, I'm going. So I worked for Charlie Palmer at Oriole in the old Oriole in 61st. I probably dined there when you were there. Yeah. Yeah. So 61st, uh, Old Oriole, and then I worked at La Bernadette. Amazing. And then from La Bernadette, I went to the UK, uh, to Le Manoir, and then the Fat Duck. And then that at the Fat Duck is where I met, uh, we had a, one of the stagiaires at the Fat Duck. We, I, we lived in a three bedroom apartment, or sorry, four bedroom apartment, and three of us chef to parties rented rooms in the fourth room we always rented to stagiaires coming through just so we could meet different people and, and uh, this girl came through Lena she was from Denmark she was an apprentice at um, Noma she came Renee sent her this is when Noma had been home for like maybe a year sent her to the fat duck for I think it was six weeks and she rented a room and her and I just became really good friends and then Renee came to eat at the fat duck while she was there and we all went out for beers and he and I started talking just really connected and he goes what are you uh what are you what are your plans i was like oh, you know I, I i i don't i don't want to go back to to the states the fat duck is kind of my only way to stay here um because they're gonna give me work permit and then he goes well, why don't you come up and check out my restaurant and of course lane had told me all about it and it seemed like this the unicorn of a restaurant up in scandinavia and in denmark and in denmark like when i told my friends that i was moving to Denmark they're like what's that the capital of Sweden <laughs> and so yeah and then I was two years as sous chef at uh, Noma back in like the early there were six of us in the kitchen back then incredible yeah why didn't you want to move back to the US because I had I just felt like I hadn't been in Europe long enough yeah I just wanted to experience more see more different cultures because I had only been in the UK yeah so yeah then I was at Noma for two years um, and then I, that's where I met my now wife in 2005. Nice. And she's Danish. She was a, she was a waiter apprentice in the dining room. Okay. And then we both had job opportunities to go back to New York. She actually, um, both to per se, uh, myself as a sous chef and her to work in the dining room. And so we went back to, I had a three year contract as a manager. So as a sous chef, so back to per se for three years. That. Those three years are, I would say, aside from opening my own restaurant, the, the highlight of my career. 
the culture, the how when you work for Thomas, there's no the perpetual problem in restaurants across the board, no matter where you are, is communication. Because there's so much information floating around all the time that how do you harness all that information and be able to distill it back to your employees? And Thomas has, there's no gray areas when you work for Thomas. It's all there for you. All the tools to succeed are there and it's up to you to realize what they are and how to use them. And it's like a, it's a really intellectual kitchen to work in in regards to how you manage yourself and how you interact with your colleagues. And But it's like a, it's, it sounds so weird and so, it's a weird thing to say, but the first three months you're there is miserable because things are just done a certain way. People work and behave and interact with each other a certain way. And that's just how it is. So coming from a place like Noma where things are very kind of loose and, or back then very loose and kind of everyone has a chance to have input and things aren't just, weren't super organized. To a place where it was like, this is how it's done. And once you kind of, kind of give yourself to that way of working and thinking and, and interacting with your colleagues, it becomes the most, it's like joining a cult, pretty much. Right. And, and, and it stays with you forever. There are, I would say, 99% of my mannerisms in the kitchen, how I organize myself, how I, how my thought process about certain situations, all stem from working for Thomas. Wow, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Or I should say, stem for, I would say, within working for Thomas, the person that uh -huh. kind of had the biggest, one of the biggest impacts on my career is Jonathan Benham, who was the chef de cuisine there when I was right. there. Right. Amazing human being. Like, I know, I, I know Jonathan. I've I've dined at his new place, Benno, yeah. which got a really nice review Amazing in the review. New York Times. Very happy for him. See, he's he's um, yeah. I remember when he was with Per Se, and then yeah. he went to Lincoln. And I'm a huge Thomas Keller fan, and yeah. that whole group. I I just I was down in Miami, and I went to the, the surf, surf club. club. How was it? It was it was. It was special. So after Per Se, what brought you back to so Copenhagen? I, my wife and I actually initiated, initiated the conversation to go back to Copenhagen because we had, like I said, I had a three-year contract with Thomas. And <clears throat> when Julie and my wife, when we moved back to New York, we thought that was it. We're moving back to New York. We're going to work for Thomas for a few years. And then we're going to open our own place in New York. And then... After like two years into my three-year contract, um, I kind of initiated the conversation. I was like, "What?" Do you, I mean, she said to my wife, "Like, what do you think about New York? Do you want to? You still want to stay here?" Because I was really kind of leaning maybe not to stay and go back to Europe. And she was actually. It took a little bit of convincing because she was actually really, I mean, young Danish girl coming to New York. It's very sex in the city. Like it was right. Very. It was. She she loved New York for fourteen years. That's, that's a lot yeah in this industry yeah and we have I can honestly think of only like three nights where we like went home from work and we were kind of like a little bit like at each other yeah two of them which were at a mass because <laughs> we opened a mass <laughs> together so there's a bit more kind of heart and soul for each of us into it 
Um, <laughs> but that's a very low number. Oh man, trust me. When I say to my friends, I was like, yeah, we've worked together 14 years and we've only like a, three times had like a, yeah. a rough night after work. They're like, I would kill, I would kill my other <laughs> every night. <laughs> so, no, we worked together. We were, we had a, uh, at Per Se, when we started, they, have a, they had a very strict, like, no intercompany dating. And so when we applied at Per Se, it was really, or when we were caught, or she applied, and then I applied after coming back, and then we got hired, and you know, at three, through my hiring process, I, I just, I came to Chef Benno and I was like, I just need to be, because I had read in the employee manual, like, no intercompany dating, and, and, I, and I just took Chef Benno aside and said, Chef, just so you know, um, you know, Julie and I, and, I, and he stopped me right there, and he looks at me and he goes, Orlando, do you think I'm stupid? <laughs> attractive young Danish girl just happens to apply when an American coming back from Denmark is applying at the same time I'm not an idiot <laughs> he's like you just keep it cool okay and so we were at, at per se there was a long of course our friends knew but there was a lot of we were very like when I was expediting and I remember one night this guy Kenny had been working there for like three months and Julie came, it was just the first guest sat down and, and Julie came back in to give me some information about the table and where they were from and she she walked away and Kenny looks at me and he goes Chef, what's up with that Danish girl, man? Like, man is she single? Is she I was like, oh, I think she has a boyfriend, Kenny and uh, very, a very handsome <laughs> and he, and successful he goes, boyfriend <laughs> and, uh, and he goes, oh, really? Like, what? what's What's he do? I was like, I think he's in the industry. He goes, really? He goes, he must be a, <laughs> a douchebag or something. I was like, I was like, oh, I think he's, I've met him. I think he's pretty cool. He goes, really? Where does he work? I was like, works up per se. And I, and I just like looked at him and he goes, chef, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, I, bait, I felt bad. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> so, well, um, well, and he, he, he know, you, you had to tell him though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so and then so we started talking, and then uh, we and then I called Renee and I said, you know, Renee, we're thinking about coming back, and and you know, I don't want to come back to Noma because I've already already been to Noma, and I want to probably come back somewhere and get jobs as a sous chef just to get back into the re meet all the producers we've worked with before and just understand this, the the landscape, and then uh, he goes, okay, I'll keep my ears open, and then like three days later he calls me back and he goes, Matt, I can't. This is what has to happen. He's like, you're coming back. I need to hire my first chef de cuisine at Noma. I've racked my brain for the last three months about who that might be. Your name, it just keeps circling back around you. He's like, if you come back anywhere else in Noma here, I think you're going to, after working with Thomas Keller, I think you're going to be really disappointed and, and not really challenged. And he goes, why don't you, I'm offering you the chef de cuisine position at Noma. And so, of course, that's like a, it's not much thinking to go. Right. And what year is this? Uh, like towards the end of 2007. Okay. And so, yeah, I came back in just three years and I was head chef. And, and then what inspired you to open your own place? 
I must. I think it's over. I, I was very clear to Renee when I came back and I said, no, I'm coming back, Renee. My long-term goal is to open my own place in Copenhagen. And he was so, he's like, that's amazing. That's a, that's amazing for not only me, because you're my friend and, and you're going to take from Noma and, and but it's also amazing for the city itself to have a chef actually move here to open their own restaurant because that no one had really right. done that before. A foreigner opening a restaurant in Copenhagen. And so he said, he's like, only, you only need to commit for one year. And then I was like, I mean, I'm not going to come as a chef to go see you for one year. It's going to take me one year just to organize the kitchen in, in the way I think it should be organized. And... It was funny because coming back from Thomas Keller and going into Noma, which is very, like I was saying, very loose, and I was, I had a, I had a very formulated, calculated plan for going back, and because I had worked there before, so I knew some what the logistics and how it worked, and to really organize it, and, and I came back, and it was. There's a little bit of a sense of like. The biggest difference between Noma and uh, Per Se is that Per Se is very calculated and um, like everything is really forecasted in how things are done. So there's not a lot of room to be spontaneous. Um, and I saw really quickly after I got back to Noma that, that one of the the, root, the driving points behind the oldness, the old Noma, is that because the new Noma they're very calculated now. It's like it's very I was going to ask you that because I I never dined at the old no the old Noma. Yeah. I've, well, I've been to bar yeah. in the space, uh -huh. but I've dined at the new Noma yeah. and from my experience or observations, yeah. it seems very organized, calculated. It is. I mean, it like they, like, extremely so. They, so I wonder, I was wondering, is that's where... Not, that's not how the old number was at all. Like the, like, was that a switch with Renee and the system when they moved locations? Yeah. Or was it like I a mean, gradual was, they thing, maybe? The, they have the test kitchen now. Right. Um, and that produces pretty much, that produces all the menus. And then that, that is kind of fed to the main kitchen. And, but now because they're, the way they, they have like seafood, vegetable, and game season the menus for the whole season are locked in for the season so the menus developed and then that's the menu they run for three right. months or however long they run it so in the I remember and then I I saw very quickly that there's this that kind of sp spontaneous and maybe not the most efficient way of working was something that made Noma so unique back in the day. Now, with all that said, realizing that accepting inefficiency on some levels allows you to create something magical. So when I left Noma and did a mass, that, that was kind of always in my head, but I thought it could be done in a, a it sounds weird, a more calculated way, like a more intentional way. Mm -hmm. So at Mass, we are extremely organized and efficient wherever we can be. And there are systems in place for certain things that just, everyone knows the system and they just run. Which, and it took a while to find this balance, which 
by organizing yourself on the back end of it and everything, you know things are just going because everyone knows the system, it frees headspace up to be spontaneous like in the moment during service. And if five kilos of the most amazing chanterelle mushrooms come in the back door at 6.30 at night when we've been open for half an hour, we know systems are in place, the service is gonna run, one person can break off, clean all the chanterelles, and we can get them on the menu halfway through service to be spontaneous like that. So you're combining your backgrounds into your own place. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's what, when you open your own place, that's right. That's what you want to do. Yeah, exactly. So, so how, do you, how do you define your cuisine or your menu or your concept at a mass, in your own words? Um, I would say it's hyper. Everyone says, yeah, we do seasonal cooking, but this is like hyper, hyper seasonal. Like seasons within seasons cooking. Yeah. And it's, I would say, somewhat spontaneous because I think that word in cooking is being lost a little bit. Like everyone is, everyone has test kitchen now. Everyone, and, and everyone's like really... Rigid. And like, yeah, yeah. It, just afraid to kind of, okay, some products are coming in, let's, let's cook with them. Right. And so it's test this and test that and blah, blah, blah. So like hyper-seasonal, spontaneous, and um, responsible. Responsible is the, the word, if I had to define it. Yeah, that's because, a good word. Yeah, because that's, that, that, that word is now defining our creative process as well. Like that's how we look at ingredients, how we process the ingredient, and also new flavor profiles that we're finding that none of us really tasted before through the like the upcycling of parts of the ingredient that people generally don't use right and you have your own beautiful garden yeah did that what was the, did that did you did did that open or or launch at the same time that you opened the, the restaurant yeah. it kind of went together yeah we opened it but that garden was half the size it's, it's, yeah it just yeah, keeps it's growing just came, yeah we I, I for the first three years I mowed the lawn out there for the first three years because it was kind of like my my Your zen thing. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was I always added like a half a meter on the the edge every time I every time I mowed the lawn. So it's just this it's or funny. fall Carry last year. Yeah, fall <laughs> last year though the landlord sent me a, an email that like we see what you're doing. <laughs> it's fine. Don't do it anymore. So I don't think the garden will get bigger. Well, it's um, pretty big. It's big, yeah. It's great. It's in, in over five years, we've really figured out what what grows best out there because we're so close to the ocean right there mm -hmm. that it's it's quite harsh. It can be maybe seventy five Fahrenheit in the daytime and forty at night, and so a lot of plants can't really handle that. Even though it's not freezing, that temperature swing. So figuring out what plants can't right. handle it. And then those plants that can't handle it are just are super strong. And the flavor is so intense. The stuff that comes out of that garden surprises me sometimes. So what would you say is the biggest difference between running restaurants and working in, in Copenhagen versus the United States? I I think that the... I mean, just from if I compare it to working in New York, is that restaurants in the States have to, and this is going to sound, come out wrong, but I don't know any way to say it, have to really like cater to their clientele, like, okay, 
change stuff around so you can get more guests in and and more tables and, and stuff like that. Where as in Denmark, people are coming to eat there for that. Because I think it's amazing you're here. You came in to Philadelphia specifically for this Just for this, this conference. Yeah. Very cool. What are you What are you doing at the conference? I am. I'm really happy today, the first day of the conference. I don't have anything to do, so I can actually go and eat. Be well, no, Drink. just be a part of the conference. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to be there all day. I want to see all the talks. I want to, because right. I also come to these conferences. I also want to to get something out of it. Yeah. And then tomorrow, um, I at eleven um, on a panel discussion uh, with Ben Shuri and Kitty Button uh, nice. about actually modern menu development and how that looks. And I just did a. Ben and I cooked last year around this time in uh, Melbourne together. Oh really? Yeah, I've spent, been to his restaurant. Yeah, it's Ben is an amazing, amazing human. Like we spent a week together writing the menu for the dinner we were doing, and we that's the first time we got to hang out and just kind of really get to know each other, and also just how we work and how we cook, and it was such a good experience. And we actually talked a lot about menu development on that trip, trip and the different factors from staff to to ingredients and how it affects. So I'm. I'm it was really cool that yeah. we got put on this panel together. And then in the afternoon, I'm doing a master class. On what? So I, I brought a suitcase full of all the different um, things that we've kind of upcycled into delicious things. And when Mike was asking me what I need, I said, because he was under the pressure it was going to be like a, a master class and somewhat of a small theater type presentation I said no I need two long tables I need 60 little bowls and a bunch of tasting spoons because all 50 people are going to gather around these tables and we're going to sit there and we're going to taste and we're going to talk about stuff. you did something similar to that at I'm, the MAD conference I'm and I was that, there almost okay. that same okay. kind of thing it was it was, yeah. it was very interesting and cool yeah. I enjoyed it I just because I, you can sit there and you can talk and point at pictures and yes right. we do this but you, that's all I, I think I truly believe like tasting, tasting is just has such a bigger impact and interactive too exactly. I think it's more fun and I want I, I also want to get something out of that experience right. I want people to I want people's opinions on things and I want people's ideas and I want to walk away from that experience with new ideas in my head as well terrific well that's great what I was thinking do you want to play my speed round game before we we end this interview I fire away okay I, I've been doing the show long enough I know it by heart uh-huh. um, so what it is is I name a couple things and you pick your preference such as chocolate or vanilla yeah okay so here we go go eat in or eat out eat in wine beer cocktail or mocktail beer tasting menu or a la carte a la carte small plates or large plates small plates Communal table or chef's counter? Communal. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Yeah, that depends on the environment. I would say tipping, because I like to leave big tips. <laughs> at your, I forget it, Amasa, you, is it all-inclusive? Um, well, everyone gets paid a, like a good salary. So anything that's tipped is kind of extra. Okay. But it's different because that salary is not, like tips aren't 
there's no inclusive on the menu. It's just that's right. Yeah. Okay, a few more. Biking in Copenhagen or any other mode of transportation? Biking. biking. Love biking in Copenhagen. Yeah. Oslo or Stockholm? Oslo. The best beer bars, one of the best wine really? bars, Brutal, in uh, Oslo is amazing wine I, bar. I, I went to Oslo before I'm this sorry, last Brutus, trip. Sorry, Brutus, not Brutal. Didn't go there, but I, I loved I loved the dining scene mm. in Oslo. Okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan, Brooklyn, San Diego, or Copenhagen? I'm sorry, Copenhagen. <laughs> <laughs> Copenhagen wins. That's the game. That's it. That's the game. And I'll take yeah. chocolate over vanilla any day. You would take chocolate. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a chocolate person. Yeah, yeah. So, um, anything else? I don't think so. Just looking forward to this this conference. I think these conferences are so cool because it is it is cool to come for the the content of the conference. But I think, mm-hmm. especially for chefs, it's it's always an opportunity to like. Like Ben Shuri's here is one of my it's networking. It's the seeing, it's the connecting. It's seeing yeah. people, it's, it's it's seeing your friends that you all of us work so much and to when you get a chance to come together. Like Ben, when he's as soon as we both were booked on, I think we both text each other within twelve hours saying, "Oh, I can't wait to see you." Well, it's incredible. We're in Philadelphia. He's coming from Australia. Yeah. You're coming from Denmark. I mean, it's yeah. like yeah. It's, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah totally. So well, cool. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Congratulations on everything. Thank you. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Diane Stemple. And I'm Elena Santagade, and we're the hosts of Cutting the Curd here on Heritage Radio Network. Featuring interviews with makers and mongers and everybody in between, this show is a downright funky look at the world of artisan cheese. You can find Cutting the Curd wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're tuning into a special on-the-road episode from the 2019 Philly Chef Conference. You just heard my interview with Matt Orlando of Amas Restaurant. And I just have to say, this show, you're going to get two speed rounds because it's a special show. So, But you heard he called out uh, Oslo. And uh, I just want to say, I loved Oslo so much when I visited. I wrote about it. If you go to fathomaway.com, there's an article that I wrote about Oslo in the dining scene. So um, just uh, if you guys want to check that out in your spare time, please do. Okay, so next up, I have another amazing Copenhagen chef. It is uh, my interviews with Christian Bauman. He is the chef and co-owner of Restaurant 108 and The Corner. Uh, He also worked with Chef Rene Redzepi. So um, I was fortunate to meet Christian this, this time on my second visit to Copenhagen when I was there for the Mad Symposium back in the fall, and I dined at 108. I also went to The Corner. And uh, it was fabulous. So honored to sit down with him as well. This interview is a little shorter. It's still almost about 20 minutes. 
But um, I hope you enjoy. This is me talking with Christian Bauman. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a little bit like 30, 35 kilometers outside Copenhagen. Okay. And uh, so I'm adopted. So I came to Denmark when I was uh, four months. Uh, and in the, the first four months of my life was very uh, back and forth between orphanage and my mom. And, uh, and then uh, when I was four months, I came to, uh, to Denmark uh, and, and, and I was raised in a small uh, city. 35 kilometers outside uh, Copenhagen with my sister and my brother and my, my parents. And uh, it's very uh, quiet life. I was a very uh, uh, energetic young boy. <laughs> and um, it's very into all kinds of sports. And I think that, I mean, that's ultimately also what, what led me to the kitchens and the restaurant industry. Because when I was at a boarding school for... Uh, like, a, like a sport boarding school then uh, at that school we were we were not only there to just you know to perform in sports and, and you know and go attend to school but also they had us cleaning and we were cooking in the kitchen and everybody sort of like saw it as a duty but I, I, I really loved the atmosphere and being there with the, the, the ladies who were you know Assigned to take care of the, us as as the children, yeah, to be cooking for us and, and guiding us, and I think they saw that you know that I didn't care about if we had to you know peel potatoes or pick parsley or whatever it is, and I really enjoyed it. I've always been, I mean, I've always followed Renee throughout my career. Uh, when they opened in 2003, uh, already back then, the the hype in Copenhagen was that people were talking about it, but sort of like this. Know, this outsider and and Renee had, you know, he was still he was very young at the time, but uh, still he, he's still, uh, he's, still he, he was still young. I mean, but he was uh, he was he was, yeah, he was young. young. He, he was he was young, uh, so but he he had a good, um, you know, a good reputation and um, and I think that he was doing something different and it appealed. I remember that the first time I heard about the restaurant, uh, my former head chef told me about it and I asked her, you know, what is it? And and she said, oh, they're trying to do this and this and you should go and see and, you know, maybe we can figure out one day if you can go there. Um, So, and I actually, when uh, I actually applied that, when I was an apprentice, I applied that, but, you know, they didn't accept uh, apprentices back then or I never never heard back from them. So, um, and then... um, but then, like throughout the years, uh, you know, I, I was there, like many people, stashing, you know, on my days off. I was working other places, going to school, and then, you know, I would just work and work and work. And, I, you know, because when you're very young, <laughs> you have a lot of energy, so I didn't need, I didn't feel the need to rest. So when I wouldn't work at my, my permanent job, I would go and stash there. And that stash sort of led to, you know, a job there, and... And then I've always had good relations with all the people working there and known a lot of people. So going back and forth there has always been, you know, a very big part of my life. And with me ending up being in the place where, you know, I helped Christian Puglisi open up his restaurants, right. Malay and Manfreds, and, and that was a great experience for me. And so when I sort of, you know, wanted decided that I wanted to have my own restaurant, um, I... 
I started working on it. I, I couldn't sleep, <laughs> so I, I sort of just started writing a lot of things down. I didn't really have a plan, but I just started writing things down. And I told Christian, you know, I'll give you a year's notice, and I just can't sleep anymore. I need to pursue this. I don't have a plan. I don't have any money. I don't have an investor, but I just have a dream, and I need to pursue this. And uh, and he was very supportive, and uh, I left. And I just continued writing on my, you know, my project. And um, with knowing Rene for so many years, I, you know, I just asked him, you know, what's your professional opinion about this? Right. And he was like, I think we should have a cup of coffee. <laughs> and uh, I was just expecting him to say, I think it's terrible. <laughs> what are you doing? You know, this is a bad idea. And he said, you know, I don't want another restaurant, but maybe I can, you know, help you find the money. And... I sort of, I, I didn't expect that at all. So, um, yeah. And then we had a lot of coffee. <laughs> uh, we had a lot of talks. And we sort of, yeah, came to the conclusion that, you know, they will help me raise the money and we'll be partners. So, yeah, I came back to Noma and then I helped out at Noma for... Uh, for you know, a good two years with uh, helped them in Copenhagen. I helped them on the way in Japan, and and then I went on uh, full time to to for the research uh, for 108, and uh, yeah, and then the rest is uh, history, <laughs> so well, to speak. Uh, well, how did you <clears throat> find the space yeah. which I've been to? It's yeah. gorgeous, but and it's very close to the original Noma space. Yeah. Yeah. What was that before? So uh, that that whole area before, the, the, there's a bridge now connecting uh, uh, Strandgall, which is the, the street where, where right, our restaurant right. is, and then and then Newhound. But before that, and, and the, all the years pretty much when Noma was at the original site, the, this was, was just an end of a dirt road. <laughs> you know, there was nothing there. I and heard pre-bridge stories. Yeah. Because so, I've only seen it with the bridge, and yeah. it's very convenient yeah. now getting over now to it's, that it's so easy. Town. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, we went from being, you know, at the end of a dirt road to becoming, uh, like, the center of Copenhagen. Right, yeah. <laughs> Connected to it, at least. And I think that's, I mean, that's, that's been very good for us. So that whole area is, is known for being, like, the outskirts of, of Copenhagen, the the island right next to it is called the Paper Island, and that's where they used to uh, sail and then dump all the you know the old newspapers and all the huge papers. Um, so that's why it's called the Paper Island. Um, the the building that the original Noma is used to be a storage space for salt. Oh wow! And uh, and the, the building that we're in used to be an old whale uh, fat storage. <laughs> So actually, when we did the renovations and uh, we had to build the ventilation system all throughout the building, uh-huh. uh, they knocked down a, a wall and this very foul smell oh, wow. of, uh, yeah, <laughs> it came oh, out of the wall sorry, and they realized that that, that, that memory. Yeah. So, no, no, no. But I mean, it's a good story. Right. So, but it was it was just interesting that you know that happened during construction and then. And uh, yeah, so it, it's it's nice to have that history, and I mean the building's been around for a long time, and I'm very proud and happy that we have that, and that's also why we sort of we chose the name for it because it's a, to us an iconic building, and it's been around for such a long time, and we want to pay, you know, tribute to that. So that's, that's the address. That's the address. Okay. So that's why we wanted to call it. That's why it was named one eight. Yeah, because it's a plan for the building. And what's what was your concept when you were developing it? Has it changed in your own words? How do you define yeah. so, what you're doing? 
I've always wanted to have a big restaurant, and I know for uh, you know 85 seats for Americans is not a lot. <laughs> that's a small restaurant no, for you guys. No, that's pretty big. <laughs> so, but uh, I mean, to me, to have uh, 85 seats has always been you know that that's a rather big restaurant, and um, so that that's that, w- that was the original idea. We wanted to have a big space, and uh, and then uh, we wanted to create something where the guests uh, is able to choose their night. So when we opened, we did. Uh, we had uh, ten a la carte dishes, and then we had three larger sharing dishes: one with fish, and one with meat, and one with vegetables. And uh, you could have it uh, for two or for four people. And this was because that at that time Copenhagen was sort of uh, plagued by uh, menus, uh, uh, two course, me- like three course menus, and five course menus, and tasting menus, or and whatever. And I sort of I wanted to do something different, so. I said, let's do a la carte only. Yeah, so six and a half months, in, seven seven and a half months in, uh, we were awarded with a Michelin star that uh, it was never planned, uh, and um, it was uh, it's uh, it's our restaurant is like sort of like the, the opposite of what you would think of what a Michelin star restaurant no, would be your food is beautiful uh, first yeah, of all the plating you. it's the presentation in itself yeah. is special yeah. so I'm not surprised no. you got that Michelin but, um, star but I mean in terms of uh, the restaurant decor like the interior mm-hmm. and everything because you know we have sort of we de- to me the creative process of developing something that's what's what, what drives me and that's whether it's food or you know working together with like extremely talented ceramists or you know this wonderful lady who has a program with uh, you know with people that she's trying to reactivate into the community again and then she does it by developing uh, you know sustainable leather pro- like uh, products so we talked to her and then we said you know we wanted to create something where the cutlery can be in so after you know a couple of months uh, the tests back and forth we came up with this part like cutlery pocket and of course it was also you know it's a great story but we also did it because we wanted to be more functional and and, and make it sort of a little bit easier on the, the, the waiters so they could have more time to you know talk to the to, to talk to the guests right, rather than right. putting the cutlery down and and um, and when we work with the ceramist who's done a lot of the plates for the restaurant we we said you know we know what the shape want what that looks like we know what the colors and and what we but we want to create something together with you and and the same with the napkins and everything else so it's we always put a lot of effort into every single little thing that we do um, and we would have done that no I mean mission star or not that's what we do um, and a lot of people started asking for where's your tasting menu or you chef you just cook for us tonight you decide and I was like, but that's like the opposite of what I wanted to do. I wanted to create a space where you guys decide. It's right, for you. Right, right. So after like six, another six months of me making a new tasting menu every day, and for you know, one you know one table would have fish, and the next table would have uh, meat for main course. Then you know we sort of said, okay, let's try and see what happens if we also put a tasting menu on. So at that point, we we ran eight course tasting menu. 10 a la carte dishes and then three larger sharing dishes um, and that was a lot of missing plus a lot of work um, and then uh, Noma moved 
Right. And um, uh, and another restaurant opened in the original space, Bar. which is called Restaurant Bar. I've yeah. been there. Yeah. It's an amazing restaurant. Yeah, I liked. I had a great experience it's there. It's so good. It's so 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 good. And uh, so they opened. And uh, I mean, that's it's literally like 50 meters away from from our restaurant. And they order. They opened with also a la carte. Very similar to what we have. The food is a little different, but the, in terms of concept, there's like ten. There's ten a la carte dishes and then two sharing mm-hmm. dishes. So we said, okay, maybe since now people are asking tasting menu from us, <laughs> maybe we should just sort of uh, we run with that and we run with the you know a la carte dishes, but we'll remove the larger sharing dishes. And now we uh, we've uh, we change the menu four times a year to spring, summer, autumn, and, and, and winter. And, uh, and then some of the alacate just stays on for longer and some of them changes accordingly to the season. Um, but uh, it's a format that, that works for us and, uh, and works for our guests, which is the most important thing to me. When did you open the coffee shop? That opened at the at the same time as when we, uh, oh, we opened. Oh, did? Yeah. So it was a, originally it was supposed to be a bakery and then I said to Renee, you know what? I'm up for any task, uh, you know, but I, I'm not a baker. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, you know. But you have on. some great pastries. Yeah, we do. And we bake the pastries. Uh, we make them by hand and, and bake them at the restaurant. And uh, and we also make the uh, sourdough bread ourselves 100%. And, yeah. You know, but we're not bakers. Right. So I said, you know, I think it's better we do something different. And I proposed that we do a cafe. And, uh, and I'm so happy that we did that. I mean, it's so... It's a wonderful space, and it just has this ambience of there's always life there, and it gives us the opportunity to always have people in the building every day throughout the day because the restaurant opens at five. So, um, so it's been a wonderful journey having the corner, as it's called, and uh, and we sort of like we we do everything we can to continue developing uh, that concept by itself. I went back to the corner. Yeah. And, um I biked over there yeah. on my last day in Copenhagen yeah. and went in for pastries and coffee. Yeah. It was, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, I think a wonderful addition to to Copenhagen yeah. to have that. What, um, what are you doing here in Philly? What's your role at the the conference? Um, so Mike asked me to come here and, and take part of it, and of course I'm very honored to, to be here. Um, I, I think that uh, it's. To me, when we wanted to, to come and take a part of it, something where it's so close to a university, I think that's, as you said earlier, I mean, it's, it's wonderful to connect directly to people and, and see that, you know, maybe you can inspire them to, to, to some greatness on, on that journey and especially people who's enrolled in the university. So we, today, we are going to cook uh, snacks for... 150 people later upstairs just a little thing uh, just, just a, 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 just, a few just, snacks yeah so oh, just one snack we're, we're actually going to do a dessert which is going to be a lot of fun uh, hopefully for people and um, and then tomorrow we are giving a cooking class uh, or a demonstration uh, which is um, around the the sturgeon fish and um, so do you want to play my speed round game? Yeah, sure. <laughs> we can do that. It's fun. Yeah. It's just I name a few things and you pick your preference. Yeah. It's a choice. So either yeah. chocolate or vanilla is an example. Yeah. Okay. Okay, great. Here we go. <laughs> eat in or eat out? Uh, eat out. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Uh, cocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? 
À la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Communal table. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Biking in Copenhagen or any other mode of transportation? Biking. Yeah, biking. Got to go with biking. Okay, a few more. Oslo or Stockholm? Uh, oh, that's difficult. That's actually very different. Stockholm. 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 Okay. Stockholm. Stockholm. Yeah. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Copenhagen? <laughs> or Philadelphia? <laughs> make it tough. Uh, yeah, I make it tough. Uh, I would say I would say Manhattan. Oh, really? <laughs> Wow, yeah. I thought you were going to go with of, Copenhagen. Of, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's home. It's home, but I, I mean, yeah. in terms of traveling, yeah. Right. I, could, I really like it. We just came. But I think it's also because I have a lot of friends there. And I, you know, I associate yeah, Manhattan yeah. with visiting friends. And that's what it's about to me. So to, to go there and then see all my friends, it makes me so happy. And, and it also makes me appreciate what I have back home yeah, a lot. That is a perfect way to end this interview it's a lovely it's a lovely note and I'm glad you like Manhattan and visiting and I think all those friends you visit like yeah. visiting you in Copenhagen so thank you so thank much you, thank you congratulations thank you. on everything thank you we we'll hope to see you again yes I hope to be back yeah. Sherry Bayer and uh, just give a shout out to Christian thank you for that interview and I haven't written about Stockholm yet but I guess there's still time also an amazing food city okay so it's time for my solo dining experience this week it's at Hop Sing Laundromat here's the rundown the location 1029 Race Street Philadelphia Pennsylvania the concept it's a swanky, speakeasy-style bar known for its meticulously made cocktails and super-hard door policy. The owner, it's a guy named Le. So why did I go? Because this cocktail bar is pretty legendary in Philadelphia. And uh, when I saw Jeff Gordonaire at the conference, he mentioned if I'd been there, and I said I hadn't. So I was like, well, that's good enough reason to go. Jeff is telling me about this place. So in between events, my experience was I, there, were, there, were, there were a bunch of um, cocktail parties for the conference, and I was at one at a place called Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and it was great. But between after that, I went over to this, this Hopsing laundromat, and I looked up online. They opened at 5. So I got there right at 5 o'clock, and I was the first person there. It's an unmarked, gated location. There's a little bell I rang, and the man in a suit came out, pretty intimidating, asked me, you know, what I was there for. I asked him if I was in the right location. He said I was. He asked me how many people were in my party. I said it was just me. And just, he said to stand on the side. In the meantime, more people had shown up. There was a party of four. There was a party of three. And they also um, approached him. And he said, he's behind the gate, by the way. And he said, wait to the side. So we were all waiting. And then he asked for my ID and for the IDs of the party of four. 
he took them, we gave them to him, and then he went inside and he disappeared for a good five minutes. He came back, he returned our IDs, and he let me and the party of four in. We sat in this little room where we were told the house rules. The rules included no hats, and the big one was no photos, absolutely no photos. So we all agreed to follow the rules, and then we were allowed into this bar. So inside, took me a minute for my eyes to adjust because it was really dark, but it's a really cool space. And I was seated at the bar at the end. Of course, it was the first one in there. And the table, the people, the, the four top, were, uh, they went over to a four top uh, to sit because it's, it's got a big dining room. So they have a cocktail book of over 70 plus different drinks. I spoke with the bartender. I asked him to make me a mocktail. He did. Um, I also asked for the food menu at one point and the bar back gave it to me kind of reluctantly. On the food menu, there are two things. There's egg drop soup and beef and broccoli. And at the bottom of the menu, it says it's going to take 45 minutes to make. And as I'm, re- as I'm going back over this, I'm, I'm thinking... Um, is this real? But yeah, this is really the experience. So I, I said I wanted the egg drop soup and, um, and the guy told me it was going to take 45 minutes. I said, no problem. So um, it did. It, it did come at that point. And uh, I'll tell you about that in a minute. But um, at that point, you know, after being there for almost an hour, I was ready to go out with my cocktail, my soup. So um, I asked for the check and I was on my way. So, as I said, what did I get? I had my mocktail. It was with cucumber, lime, ginger, celery, mint, and black tea. And I also had this egg drop soup. So, my take, the mocktail was really good. It had all these vegetable flavors. And the egg drop soup was actually delicious. And I don't remember the last time I had egg drop soup, and I certainly have never had it in a swanky bar. Okay, so the ambiance. It's a really gorgeous space, very dimly lit, and it has a nice bottle display in the backyard, and it's, it's quite spacious. So I'd say this is perfect for a interesting or challenging cocktail bar date night. Interesting tidbit. So Hop Singh opened in 2012 and Lay has a record of every person who enters, including those people who have been denied or banned from entry. And there's not much known about Lay except he's from Vietnam and he's a dapper dresser. So personal fun fact. Um, I snapped a photo before I entered from the gate. I, and I have a picture, a selfie in the bathroom. I don't know if I'm ever going to do anything with that because I, I think if I post it, I will be banned. And I don't, I don't know if I want that to happen. But my other personal fun fact is I'm probably, probably the only person in the world that would go to this bar by themselves and order a non-alcoholic drink. Makes me me. Okay, so the cost was $19. That's not including tax or gratuity, and it was cash only. Would I go back? I'm not sure. They have a lot of attitude, but uh, who knows? Maybe I will, or maybe I'll try to. I don't know if I'll be allowed entry, but we'll see. I got in once. So the website is hopsinglaundromat.com. So there you have it. That is my solo dining experience, and that is the show. A big thanks to Philly Chef Conference's Mike Trout and to Matt Orlando of Amas Restaurant and Christian Bauman of 108 and The Corner. Their restaurants are in Copenhagen, and uh, they're awesome. So uh, if you ever get out there, I, su- I would highly recommend both of them. You can find out more about the conference at phillychefconference.com, and their restaurants are at amasrestaurant.com and 108.dk. 
same social media at Philly Chef Conference, at a Mosmo, at a Moss restaurant, at Christian Bauman, at 108 CPH, and at the corner underscore 108. My social media is at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as well. Many, many thanks to my engineers, Amanda, who, who executed this show perfectly today, and to Matt, who helped me edit those interviews down. So I'm very appreciative. So we're going on a little spring break at Heritage Radio. My next live show will be on May 8th at 4 p.m., and that's with August Cardona. Until then, be well, and thank you for tuning in. I'm Sherry Bayer, and always big thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.